Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 56 of Waking Up to Narcissism. And I know that I am going to run this over on the virtual couch as a bonus episode at some point. So welcome virtual couch guests as well. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I have never wanted to just get to an interview more quickly than I ever have with this interview today. So there will be a lot of people that I think have probably never um, listened to an episode of Waking Up to Narcissism or The Virtual Couch. So I will spare all the business things that I want to do. If you could just do me a favor and just go to TonyOverbay.com and sign up for my newsletter, then I will let you know about all the wonderful, amazing things that I just want to share with the entire world through podcasts. And I have a marriage course and parenting courses and all these uh, fun things. But let's get to today's interview. I, I don't even know where to start. It was one of my favorite interviews of all time. And also, we're talking about such heavy topics. Needless to say, we're on the Waking Up to Narcissism podcast. And so Ashley opens up a lot about a very narcissistic, abusive relationship that she was in and uh, an emotionally abusive relationship that she was in that ends in murder. And that is not a normal thing that we talk about or the people that I have interviewed, because when you hear the joy the, of, for life, the enthusiasm in Ashley's voice, I think you're going to experience what we like to say in the old psychology world of cognitive dissonance where you're going to hear this just person that we can joke and we can cry, we can laugh, we can feel all the emotions. And, and she's a survivor and she is just continuing to move forward. But her story is just phenomenal. And we had a little bit of technology issues. And that was ironically, uh, as the podcaster, the professional podcast host, that was all on me. And we spent enough time trying to figure out how to record that I feel like I made a hilarious joke at the beginning and I had technologically gaslit her because it turned out to be my microphone that was not working properly. But in the moments or 10, 12 minutes that we couldn't really record, I think what we missed out on was really Ashley promoting a lot of the things that she has. So I want to talk about those here in the introduction to this interview. But let me just start by reading part of the on Amazon the description in her book, and I think this will give you an idea of what we're going to talk about today. She said, my name is Ashley. I am a victim of murder through a series of events, and by two shots of a gun, I was made a widow at the age of 28, with my youngest child just six weeks old. I'm a victim of infidelity. I have felt unlovable. I have felt rejected. I have had days in my life when I wasn't sure if I would ever take a breath again, let alone be able to raise my five children by myself. I have lived in fear. I have felt much heartache. I have felt truly broken to my core. I have carried some heavy burdens, not only of my own, but burdens put upon my shoulders by the death of my husband. I have felt alone. I have felt humiliated. I have been humbled to my knees. I have searched my soul to find my worth in this world and in the life that was left for me. My world has been totally shattered. I faced realities I never knew were possible and found strength within myself to keep up the fight and live every day as if it was on purpose. I have been calmed and, and carried by angels, both earthly beings and those unseen. I have found that being a victim doesn't mean that we have an excuse to stop living. Being a victim means finding a reason for seeking a higher road. And it goes on from there. And so if you can just sense that, that strength for somebody that has just been through something that we can never even imagine. And so I cannot wait for you to hear this interview with Ashley today and you're going to hear us again laugh and cry and joke and then talk about really difficult things. And a lot of the things that I appreciate that Ashley talks about are just 
She was because of her just loving heart and her kindness that she did overlook a lot of the red flags, or we think we talk in here about turning the red flags yellow and how that is, it's a wonderful thing to be that caring and kind and to love that deeply until it's not. And so I think one of the most difficult things, especially that the people that, let's say the people that are in my private women's Facebook group that are in relationships with narcissistic fill in the blank, and that's not like narcissistic fill in the blank, like uh, covering up a swear word. But is it their spouse? Is it their parents? Is it their their adult children? Whatever that looks like. But the people continually start to question their own sense of self or worth. And as a matter of fact, we have group calls every other week from that Facebook group. And last night, the topic of the group call is I really wanted to talk about it's wonderful to have a value of kindness in, until it is taken advantage of. And so we talked about ways to still be true to yourself and also still have this value of kindness or compassion. So I think that Ashley really just embodies that about how, you know, she really didn't know what she didn't know in her relationship until she went through it. And now she has just really learned how to grow and has so many strengths at this point. Now, she also has a lot of amazing courses. And that's one of the things I want to talk about as well. What I read was from her book, and I highly recommend that you get her book. It's called The Moments We Stand, Silence Breaks, Book One. And I will include a link to that in the show notes. Matter of fact, I'll have a lot of things in the show notes because she also has four courses and Ashley was kind enough to offer a 40% discount if you use the coupon code virtual couch, all one word. But the courses she has, she has a widow course, a course for infidelity survivors, a course for parents that are navigating parenting a hurting child through trauma and grief. And then she is about to release a, a course on eating disorders with her daughter who is a recovered anorexic for parents and kids who are struggling with it to do it together. I honestly like to think that I fit as much life in in a day as possible. And I think I've met somebody that probably fits in about two or three times more in a day than I think is humanly possible. So I think you're going to get a lot of strength from this episode. And But I really hope that the people that are listening aren't going to hear this and think, oh man, what's wrong with me? Because I'm not doing all those things. No, I hope that you can feel the strength and know that wherever you are, you're right there and you're you're where you need to be because if you're listening to this podcast, you're starting to wake up to that narcissism or the emotional immaturity in relationships in yourself. And that's, we went from, I didn't know what I didn't know to now I know, but I really may not even know what to do or have the tools, or I might start learning the tools and I still have a difficult time doing to eventually you're going to do the tools or do the things that will help you become the best version of you more than you weren't. And then finally, you are just going to be and become this amazing person. And Ashley and I talk about that in the interview, that it is absolutely okay to have your own thoughts and feelings and opinions. And you are the the most unique version of you that has ever walked the face of the earth, right down to that nature and nurture, birth order, DNA, abandonment, rejection. So your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions are there because they are, because that's who you are. And, and so I think what the strength that you'll see from Ashley is that we don't even realize when we're sometimes caught up in this codependency or enmeshment with somebody of how that can just zap our sense of self and our sense of worth. And that relationships, when you have the right tools, are not designed to just you know, drain the life out of you. Enough from me. Let's get to this interview with Ashley. I think you're going to love it. You can also, man, before I even go too far down, she has uh, does an amazing amount of content on Instagram. And I highly recommend that you all go find her. It's The Moments We Stand. And I will have that link there as well to her Instagram account. So I hope to have her on again soon. 
and to have some follow-up. And I promise you, Ashley, my microphone will be working like a champ. So let's get to this episode. Let's get to the interview with Ashley Boyson. Here we go. Okay. Ashley, how are you? Hello. I'm so good. How are you? Oh, I think I'm supposed to be all mindful and zen, but I think what was that? We're at uh, 13 minutes after the hour of all like trying to find out the technical difficulties. And it turns out I was, I I mean, this is probably a good segue. I was technologically gaslighting you, wasn't I? It was my problem the whole time. (laughs) Seriously, I was starting to be triggered a lot. I know, and I feel so bad because I was. I was like, <laughs> Ashley, pointing at your ears and that sort of thing. So thank you for your patience. Are. I know, and, no and, I'm, and I'm grateful that you're here. And uh, and I, I know I'm jumping right in with humor. And from looking at your account and, and listening to the things that you say, I, I think you're a fan of humor as well. I'm a fan of humor, man. Right, but you, and, 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 and meanwhile, when my audience is here, what you've been through, um, that is a real gift to be able to turn to humor. And I feel like just saying, man, I just want you to talk. And then uh, the me wanting validation also wants you to tell the story of how we met, which is probably uh, uh, really emotionally insecure of me. But I'm just really, I can't, I'm really excited to talk to you. But yet then I know we're going to talk about difficult things. I'm excited too. It's going to yeah. be awesome. Yeah, and and we met because one of my good friends from high school, who happens to live not far from me now, we had both been through similar things, and she was like, "Let's meet up for lunch." And we were talking, and a couple of things I said, she's like, "Oh my gosh, you have to meet this guy I know." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, everybody <laughs> always is sending me stuff, but she sends me your podcast, and I'm sitting there listening to it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I do have to meet this guy that uh-huh. you know.'" And I text her, I'm like, this is amazing. This podcast about narcissism, like years ago when I was going through stuff with narcissists, I didn't even know what that word was. So to have this at people's fingertips is is unreal. And it's going to help so many people go, wait a second, this sounds so familiar. Oh my gosh. And I wish I would have had that a long time ago, but. So, well, I, well, I appreciate that because, okay, and I'm going to, and but I can't imagine what you have been through now and looking over your story. And I will be honest, first time I've met with somebody that uh, their credits include uh, what um, a forensic investigation or Dateline NBC, or I mean, your story is, it is that big and just crazy. And so then that's, I think, why I go to the part where I feel like I'm really honored that I can provide something that will resonate with you. And, and so maybe we just dive in and, and where do we start with your story? Oh man, where do you want to start? Uh, well, I, I mean, the the part your website is so good where it just jumps in and and basically the part where you your husband was missing and you had just had your fifth child, I think, and then this just picturesque life and he was with an attorney and and you had the five kids and just everything just was amazing. I mean, is that kind of the the, the case? Yeah, that's where we were. That was 2011, and I literally was living my dream life. I just had my fifth baby. My, my son had a brother, like everything was aligning. The market was low. We were just out of law school, bought our dream house. So it was yeah. kind of one of those, you know, those times where you're like, I did it. I followed the list yeah. and I checked the boxes. And when I was younger, I learned that I'd be blessed if I checked these boxes and here I am, I'm blessed. So it's yeah. kind of one of those times where I was almost patting myself on the back. Look how much I've done. Here we are. We've made it. And yeah, there was just a few months that, it started to feel like things were just like falling through the cracks. And, what and the more like? I try, Yeah. What was that? What were um, the things? And- it was a lot of moments that I felt like I was crazy. Like things okay. wouldn't add up. 
or things just fell off or I'd ask questions to my husband and it just, something didn't sit right. And the, it was like the more I dug though, the more I asked questions, the crazier I felt because he always had a good excuse and there was always a reason why I just need to be patient and he'd be he'd be back at spending time with the family once he got this or this or this, you know? So it was kind of just crazy making all the time. And I got to the point, like I always say any normal crazy person going through the garbage, like, is there any evidence here? Because oh. I'm losing it. Everyone around me thinks we're the perfect family. I thought we were too, but something feels off. So I spent a lot of time doing normal crazy person stuff. When you start to feel crazy, I was like trying to hack into his phone when he's in the shower. Never okay. got in that. I was trying to, like, I'd go through his car when he's in the shower. Just like, am I so insecure? And I started digging into my past. Like, okay, my parents got divorced. Maybe I'm broken. Maybe I just don't trust people. No. And I went to a marriage counselor saying that. I'm like, by myself. I went to a marriage counselor by myself. Yeah. We're going to get that out there. Okay. And I, I begged him, just fix me. Because I think I have trust issues or something. Because all of a sudden, I feel like I'm crazy. And I feel like something's not right. But, but he says everything's fine. And he comes home most nights. And even when he doesn't, there's a, an amazing reason why he has to be at the jail with a client or something. Okay. So I'm crazy and I need you to fix me. That's kind of what it looked like for me. Just a what, did, what did he say? Because I've had that I've had that client in to meet, you know, with me before. And what, what did he say? You've How did he handle it? Probably that? had thousands of them. It, it was always like, oh my gosh, can you not handle just being a mom? Like this is your oh. one job is to take care of the kids and I have to go to the jail. It's not like I can just say, sorry, I have a family. So it was always just kind of like making me feel guilty. Like asking for his time was something that I should just buck up and be doing it all myself, which I pretty much was. But I was such that person who, you know, I've always been, I just loved big and I loved being a mom. And every single detail of being a mom, I didn't want to miss it anyway. Like I wanted Mm. to be there. But then having this longing for a partner to do it with me, got yeah. bigger and bigger through law school. I just did it because he was in law school. And then through this, I just did it because he was always busy with clients. But I just got that feeling like he has to be part of this. They're growing and I'm doing it by myself. And the more I beg him, the more it's like, he's frustrated with me. Like I'm asking for something more than just even five minutes a day. I'm, I'm, instead of watching my son watch the neighbor play baseball with his dad outside, yeah. I want you to be here playing baseball with him. Yeah, Not just yeah. promising him that you're going to, you're going to like sponsor his baseball team, actually be the dad with him. And did you feel like you, did you feel like you had to the buffer for the kids as well? Or did you? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Even his, his own family, like there was a Christmas where we were planning on going and like the day before this was, I think it was the Christmas before he died. Maybe, maybe two Christmases. The day we were supposed to leave, it was like, oh, let's, let's tell him the kids are sick. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to tell him that. You can tell him that. Nobody's sick. We're ready. We're packed. We're ready to go. But it was always like I was trying to cover for him. Yeah. Even though even though I tried to genuinely believe him, there was always that pit in my stomach. Like, this, something's just not right. Yeah. Ashley, I'm, ter- I'm curious too, when you went to therapy, what did the therapist do? Or how did he try to work with you? <laughs> um, that day, he listened to me rant about all these things that felt off and then yeah. beg him to fix my issues and yeah. heal my past. And he stopped me right at the end. We were almost out of time. And he's like, you know, I just feel like I need to say this. Sometimes those feelings deep down that something's not right. What if something really isn't right? Mm-hmm. And you almost panic when you've spent so much time okay. covering and loving with all your heart. You almost panic because you don't want to go there. 
Because that'd yeah. be really scary. It's a lot easier to live in your fantasy world, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I said, uh, well, no, no, no. It has to be me. Like, he reassures me every day. And he just tells me I need to get better at communicating. and just tells me I need to get better at, mm. like, healing from my my mom and dad's stuff. And and so he literally said, bring him in next week. And you guys can sit here together and we can work on this. I think you and him together will be the best way to figure out what's really going on so you can both be there for each other. Okay. And then next week, I guess we'll tell you what happened next week. Yeah. So, and then what what did, I mean, I appreciate his the way you handled that, because I do feel like when that person is in my office, you in that role, that it is the, tell me what I need to do different. But so often it's, uh, hey, it sounds like you're trying to do everything is, is maybe the problem. And, and it sounds like that was what you were doing. I mean, just trying to figure, I can, I, can, I can figure this out. I can fix this. Yeah. You fix me, I'll fix this and we'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then did you ask your husband to come in? So I did. He, at that time, had gone on a trip with his stepbrother and came home and things were like way worse. Like they'd been off, but he got home and something had like snapped. He was not even trying to be kind. Like Mm -hmm. he was yelling a lot. He was more aggressive. He was frustrated with the kids and he wasn't home most of that week. And I remember on, it was a Friday morning and I woke up and I got on my knees. I am a praying woman. I, I thought, you know, with God, I can figure out what's going on and we're going to fix it. Cause that's what us women do anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've worked with enough women, you know, we, we know we can fix yeah. it. If we just have the tools and the answers. Yeah. So that's what I prayed for. Just give me one answer. And once I have that answer, I promise you, I will do whatever it takes. I will lose weight. I just had a baby. If that's what it is, I will change mm-hmm. who I am. I will change my character if I have to, because I want this and I love him and I love this family. And so it was kind of that kind of a day yeah. where I, I could feel it was almost like I could feel this moment had to happen where we saw each other and we worked on whatever it was. And and honestly, a few times it crossed my mind. Maybe he's having an affair and it he's going to tell. Yeah. yeah. But it would, it would always be in weird, bizarre moments. Like when I was in his office and his paralegal would give me a weird vibe. But then I'm like, no, she's 40 years old. I'm 28 years old. I just had his fifth kid. There is no way. And then I feel more crazy. So every time I had that thought, it was like I shamed myself for even thinking. Oh. Like, there's no way you're not enough for him. Like, he would never pick this lady. And my thoughts would just kind of go in a circle. So anyway, that morning, it was kind of finally, it felt like it was coming to a head. And I know so many people in this situation have felt that. Like, I have to yeah. find out now. It's it's here. I can feel it. And um, so I got up and just did crazy people stuff. Like I went to Target and spent a bunch of money on random things like $200 in laundry baskets and things that we do to cope, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. Well, we worked with these. I know we've worked with these. We have our coping mechanism. Um, I've, I've never, to be fair, I've never, I've never had the, uh, the, you know, buying all the laundry baskets. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> I was redoing the laundry room. That, okay. that was the goal. Okay. There we go. To keep me, to keep me, you know, focused that day. Yeah. Yeah. I went to the grocery store and bought all of his favorite food. And we're not just talking like oh. his favorite meal. Like I went nuts. I bought everything. There was a whole array of food. By the time he was supposed to be home, the kids were decked out in their clothes. I'd sent him pictures wow. of the kids. I wanted him to see what he had, even though I wasn't changing much. Like I just, I wanted the best version of us when he walked through the door that day. Yeah. And 
he walked in a couple hours late. The food was cold. The babies were so tired. But I was like, no, damn it. We're going to do this. He's going to come in. He's going to see your cute faces. And he's going to remember why he wants to be here. Because it really doesn't feel like he wants to be here. And he, we sat down and ate. He didn't touch the food. It was kind of one of those. When he walked in the door, I tried to kiss him. And he kind of brushed me away. And I just sunk deeper and deeper into this insignificant person who just felt so small. Yeah. And pretty soon I, I could hear his phone ringing and he went in the back room. It happened to be where the baby monitor was. And I'm like, maybe this time I'm going to get my one answer. Okay. And I'd, I'd asked this person who was a therapist to reach out to him. And it was, um, it was one of those things that I'm like, maybe if he can tell me what's going on, or I can fix it. But I listened over the monitor and everything he was saying wasn't even true. He was saying wow. stuff about me, like I had done. I was out sleeping around and I wasn't taking care of the kids. Like all the things that I knew weren't the answer I was looking for. Yeah. But at the same time, played on to the crazy, right? And so by the time he got off, I went in the back room and called the same person. Like, will you help me out? And he, he validated that fear of being crazy. He's like, are you crazy? What are you doing? You're not taking care of kids. You're not taking care of kids. So he went through, I mean, he was lawyered. My husband was lawyer. He yeah. was lawyered. He believed everything he heard. And in the middle of our conversation, Emmett came in and said, hey, I'm going to go run to Walgreens. I'll be right back. And it had been a few weeks of, I'm going to go run here. And he'd be gone till 12 o'clock at night. And uh, so I kind of panicked and held the phone away. And I'm like, I need you to stay. Just stay here. Let's, let's talk about everything. All the things that the kids are going through at school. Like weird stuff is happening. And I just, I feel like I need you to be here with me tonight. And he literally looked into my, my eyes and he said, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to go. Walked out the door, slammed the door. The babies were waking up. Just the baby, the young, almost seven-week-old baby. And I picked him up, got off the phone. And for seriously hours, I just sat there and rocked this baby, trying to piece together, what does this look like? If I reach out to people, yeah, I've already reached out and said, pray for us. And, and people are like, well, wh- what do you need me to pray for? And I, I felt more crazy because I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Something's wrong. I know something's wrong. So I held this baby and just promised him for hours that everything was going to be okay. And I read my self-help book that my marriage counselor had given me to read. And I, I got on my knees and said many prayers. Just, I need an answer tonight. I don't know what to do. And the baby finally fell asleep about right after a panic, the baby fell asleep. About 10 o'clock, he panicked and I panicked and I just felt it. And I called Emmett like four times in a row and texted him, are you okay? I don't, please come home. And nothing, heard nothing from us. Baby finally fell asleep. And um, I just kind of felt more alone. I'm like, I kind of wish the baby was awake because I'm just sitting here. So I ended up laying down and falling asleep. And about one o'clock in the morning, I heard just this pounding on my front door. And I almost got excited. I'm going to be honest. Really? When you feel okay. crazy and you're like, maybe this is hope. There's an answer. I was yeah. like, okay, you just bought a new truck. This is, this is what okay. it's going to look like. Something. He, got, yeah. he got in a wreck and there's a policeman coming to say, hey, your husband's hurt, broke his leg, got in a wreck, his car's totaled, but he needs you. And I was like, all and right. Now, now I know what to do with that, right? I can. I, can I, know, I know how to. Yeah. I, that's what I've been craving for so yeah. long. I need him to need me. Yeah. So as I'm walking to the door, I'm like, okay, he needs me. I'm gonna, they're going to take me to him. He's going to see us and he's going to be in a spot where he needs us to take care of him. And I thought this gift was going to be handed to me. And I didn't even care if he wrecked his brand new truck. Like I just wanted him to see us. Mm. And I opened the door and it was just three people went around in street clothes, holding up a badge and saying, we need to come in. And I was just so overwhelmed. And by the time we sat on my couch, I didn't think 
Like I, I never imagined the scenario that we were, we were going to sit around and talk about. And they just said, Hey, do you know this woman? And it, it was the paralegal that worked for us. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I know her. She works at our office. She literally just sent me a present home the other day for the new baby. And they just kept talking. I don't, I honestly still don't know exactly everything they said. And, um, like the, the, Weight on my chest as they were explaining this whole situation still is even if I talk about it, just yeah. it's still there. And I know I've worked, I've done so much work to try to work through it. But at that moment, that moment where you, first of all, for me, they said your husband was her there with her. They were having an affair. Her husband came and literally just spilled it all. He came with a gun and your husband was shot once in the forehead and once in the heart. And he died literally wow. in her arms. Wow. And I, when I go back to that moment, I, um, it's not just about that, that pain of, Hey, you really weren't enough, sis. Well, let's talk about it. It was like, you know, that dude in your head that plays and he's like, Hey, you little laser. See, yeah. see, you are so dumb. Look at you. You didn't even, you couldn't even figure this out. It took mm-hmm. him dying in another woman's arms fighting for her because you're not enough. And that was kind of the core belief that just in that moment, just grew and built and took over my every breath. He was gone. But not only was he gone, let me tell you what, he was gone because you weren't enough. That's what I believe. Actually, in that right. Moment. And that default programming that we go to, I mean, that is just, uh, it's unavoidable. And I, and I so, I'm so sorry you even had to deal with that. But I hear that. I mean, I've never heard a version like this, but to show that it can go there even in that depth of, of that moment just shows how deeply at our core, you know, uh, we have that, that internal battle of I'm not enough. I mean, I almost feel like that's our default setting. And then we're trying to just, you know, beg someone to tell us that we're not. Um, so I can't right. imagine that actually. And, and do you feel like, and, and this might be a silly question, but when you just said, yeah, they just dumped all that on you, you know, at, at one time, I mean, do you feel like that was something that had to happen that way? Do you feel like it could have been broached in a different way or what, what do you, what are your thoughts? Oh, you know, it was kind of like, I wanted to make up a different scenario for my kids the next morning when they yeah. came running down the yeah. stairs. But it was one of those things that they, I needed the full truth because that crazy part of me, that if he was there and he told me all of that, would have had the option to do crazy things and kick him in the face and be mad and decide for myself what my future looks like. It was kind of rich from me because of this. It wasn't just a murder. It was almost like, hey, here's a reason why, why you felt crazy. And honestly, yeah. the first the first emotion that I felt when those detectives left my house, they spent a long time at my house. And I remember calling people and telling people, I'm like, they were right there. But mainly I remember they shut the door and this wave of relief came over me. Not not the relief that, hey, the your husband and the father of your children is dead. That absolutely yeah. not. That was the guy that I was ready to give my entire life to it and I gave yeah. my entire heart to. But the relief that so many women talk about when they find out finally, like their husband finally admits that he was having an affair, that relief is so powerful because you do start to feel crazy. You feel just trapped inside this twilight zone all the time. So that, that lasted about three seconds. But I just okay. remember slapping, I remember slapping my couch like, I wasn't crazy. I wasn't crazy. Just screaming, excited that I wasn't crazy. Mm-hmm. And then the, the guilt of having relief set in because now this, I mean, the life that you have, like, you're literally going to have to tell five kids that their dad was murdered. They don't even know how to spell the word murder. 
or know what oh. that means. And you're going to have to figure out a way to tell them in about three hours. So, oh, Ashley, the, re- the relief didn't last long, but. Well, and, the, and one of the messages that you sent, and I appreciate you saying that, you said uh, to remind you about that relief. And then you said that followed by shame because he was gone. And so was my chance of saving him. And that's the part where I feel like, man, I can't imagine how hard that is of feeling like, I mean, I wonder if the brain even goes in, in double time of saying, but I could have. I mean, now, now I'll never know, but Absolutely. I could have. Was that what that was like? Absolutely. I walk into my closet literally begging. I'm like, I have seen it on the movies. I have to have a yeah. do-over. Rewind. I want to see the alternative ending where I get to choose. And guess what? I could have saved him. And I truly believe that to my core until I was giving a, given a second marriage with a similar scenario because okay. I never did heal any of it inside me, right? Yeah. And I was given that second chance in a totally different way, but that's another story. Um, but having that belief that I could have saved him and I was robbed. Yeah. Literally, the guy that shot him was named Rob. I was robbed of being able to save my marriage, save my husband, have, help him through whatever pornography, whatever he was going through, which he was. I would have been able to save him, and I truly believe that to my mm. core. How and what what has that been like? I mean, this is where I feel like the uh, I don't know if it's the confabulation that our brain does, or to make sense of things, or uh, if that's just a catastrophizing. We're gonna we're gonna pile on when we're beating ourselves up, or um, what has that been like to, or what has it taken to overcome that? I mean, do you still find yourself at times thinking the more I learn, the more I know I could have, or is it the more I learn, the more I know I couldn't have? Um, it's more like the more I learn, the more I know I was worth so much more. Okay. Okay. So it started out for years, even into my second marriage. Like I said, I was insignificant in my own mind, right? Just like a narcissist is insignificant in their own mind and they don't want anybody to know. So they make it all about them. I was so insignificant in my own mind, whether it was from my parents' divorce or whatever, that I really didn't have a a healthy view of myself, similar to a narcissist. But the ones that attract narcissists, we go to the, we'll make it all about them because they like it about them. And I want to give that to them. And that's the way I'm going to love. But you don't know in the moment that it's really just you being insecure and them being insecure and both have a different reaction. Yeah. So... That's where I've, I've come 180. And okay. in, my second, in my second marriage, when I, when one of the answers to my prayer, I see now it wasn't like I need to heal from my parents' divorce and I need to fix that. It was like, it's from my last marriage that I need to heal. And so it was like, I was constantly trying to heal that. And I was going to counseling and trying to heal that. So this marriage could be different, even yes. though I was at the same spot and I attracted the same type of person, right? Mm. So it's, it began to be... More like, I felt like God gave me these gifts. I, one day, no, no joke. It was, I literally heard a voice say, I need you to start a blog, which I'm like, what? I don't even, I don't even do this kind of stuff. And I need you to write this story. And I was like, all right, my mom and my sisters could read a blog, but I fought it all weekend. And by the end of the weekend, I just kept getting it. And I I got a blessing from my church. We do. Anyways, I got a blessing that said the exact same word. I need you to start writing for some of my children who aren't listening. And I'm like, write what? I can write a story. I can be pissed off and I can just, and I started writing this story. And I, I, that's when my blog started. Okay. But it was, it was, I thought I was going to get this gift of get it all out, right? Be pissed off. You were stuck. You're a victim. You're hurt. And I started writing. And at one time my computer just totally shut down. And at that time I was just writing straight to the blog. So it would just like auto save. Wow. And not one, not one word saved. It was a blank screen again. And I had spent hours just talking about hate and talking about how people 
are awful and all the things that I wanted to say. And I got this, this feeling like, I need you to start again. And this time, I want you to remember how strong you were. I want right. you to write this story with grace in it. Same story. I wrote the same story. But I got this chance to figure out who I was, not who someone could tell me I was or being in a relationship could give me. And I, while, while in a really hard relationship that ended in divorce years later, I got this, this new view of me. And so anyways, I think that's how we get out of, we can't change another person. No. I, I couldn't have saved Emmett. I couldn't, in my next no. marriage, I didn't save him. But we have to get strong enough so we can hear the inspiration that's coming. Because sometimes when we're stuck as that insignificant person who's making it all about the narcissist, right? In our relationship, we start going, well, what do you think I should do? Yeah. Because they give us the validation when they want to. And mm -hmm. if not, they take it away and then we feel small again. But getting that validation from your higher power, getting that validation from your inner self, the strength that you have is the time where you're going to be able to make decisions, whether you stay and put up with whatever is going to happen or you watch them find their healing. And, and yeah. I don't know about you, Tony, maybe that yeah. is possible. Look, a lot of people that are in my spot eventually either end in divorce or they go crazy, which I've done both. Um, but, but maybe you, maybe you are told to stay. Maybe as you pray and fight, you're just told to stay, but you have to strengthen yourself. And that's what I wish I would have known back then. Not I could go back and save him. I wish I would have known my worth. I wish Man. I would have not not gotten married to validate myself or to or been a great mom for him. I wish I would have yeah. just done it for me. That's well, actually, I, I, I love that you use the you use the phrase the word grace earlier. And I don't know if you've heard me talk about this on the podcast, but I feel like we have to start from that. We absolutely don't know what we don't know, and so everybody goes in, and the assumption is that we'll all work out, we'll live happily ever after. And then I feel like that uh, concept of, you know, then we hit life and things happen. And now we both start to express how we feel about these situations. And that's really where you start to learn, is it okay for me to have my own opinion? Or does my opinion cause this other person to feel less than or feel attacked? And then are they going to put me down? Are they going to take that one up position? Are they going to go victim mentality? And I think it does start that crazy making where now all of a sudden you're back in that, I got to figure out how to manage this person. And, and I love what you said earlier, and you say it on your website too, of, that loving big, because I feel like that's one of those concepts that can sound negative. But then I know this can seem so cliche, but when you're loving yourself big, now you're, you're putting out just vibes that can change the world. And so, and I get that from you now and everything that I watch you do on social media, which is pretty amazing. So what is that shift? How does that feel internally? I mean, do you feel confident now? What's that self-love feel like for you? Oh, I, I guess it's been more for me just knowing that until I actually do love myself, not just the cocky kind of like, oh yeah, I got this. Cause that's what right. the narcissist does. They yeah, go to exactly. cocky. They're not confident No, because as soon as you shatter something or you say it the wrong way, or yeah. you, even if you did it yesterday and it worked and you had a good day, you could do it the exact same way and it doesn't work because they're just so unstable. Um, so just knowing inside, I have to love myself before I'm going to attract someone who's going to love me. I have to love myself before I can actually fully give that heart. Because yeah. if I'm just making it all about somebody else, even if I'm okay with it, eventually I'm going to just be giving and giving and giving. And there's going to be a moment, even if you don't ever think it, there's, there needs to be a moment where you do think, 
I need something back from this relationship, not yeah. just when it's convenient for you or you want to buy a new car or right. you want to control a situation. I actually need you to care. And when I'm on my low days, it's not an excuse to lash out at you, which I've never, I'm never going to do, but I want you to come to me and I want you to be there for me too. Cause I've been doing that over and over and over and over. So just, yeah, even with my kids, I've realized the more I love myself, the more I have the capacity to love them. And the more I see them love themselves. Yeah. Because really we think, I, I've heard so many wives and I'm sure there's husbands in this situation that go, you know, I stayed for the kids. And I'm like, yes, but guess what? You just showed the kids how to be abused. Because even if it's not physical or sexual abuse, emotional, financial, all those kind of abuse, they're watching to see what their life should look like. And yeah. they're going to try to emulate that. So don't, I would, my advice is don't ever stay for the kids. Um, they will watch your strength if it's time for you to go and that's your answer, they'll watch you, you leave with grace. And if it's time to stay and you fight, but you fight for you first, you fight mm -hmm. to find yourself and you find your worth and you find your significance, regardless if anybody else is giving it to you, that's when your kids are going to grow stronger. So actually that, and I'm so grateful you're saying that because I feel like that's the stuff where I can say it from a clinician's point of view. But then having not gone through that, I, I feel like people can easily just say, well, you don't understand. And, and that's where I appreciate you're, you're in it and you're going through that. And, and I've been saying a lot lately, I feel like, okay, so we get, our, we get our sense of self from external validation and it's going to start from our parents. And so then if we're able to, to be there and, and form that secure bond and attachment with them and, and hear all their hopes and dreams, I mean, that's the main thing. But if we're continually trying to, to figure out how to manage their emotions from the narcissist in the relationship, and they're not seeing my best version of myself, I, I feel like it makes sense that then that's what their sense of self is going to be, that they're also now going to go be the, the person that's going to try to, you know, the people pleaser or the person that's going to try to keep the peace. And, and I had right. a situation a little while ago too, actually, that, that was kind of mind-blowing where somebody was expressing to me that they were in the dating world. It was a, a, an amazing 20-something and a guy was starting to really just be a little bit more inappropriate. And then she said, you know, I thought that he was starting to get to that point, but I really didn't want to make him uncomfortable or feel bad. And I feel like that's part of maybe what, you know, this person will see in their childhood is watching maybe their, their, their parent try to keep that peace and not want somebody to feel bad. Cause if the person feels bad, then they're going to be angry. And then the whole house is going to have to pay. We do feel like that was part of what you were doing with the kids. Oh, absolutely. I was always trying to buffer and Oh no, everything's great. We're, we're doing great. And I, I do see people and I see the world in a positive way because that's yeah. kind of just part of me. But that becomes like, I feel like it, it's almost used as your weakness because you, you try to, it, and, and you become a liar. You start to lie for people and, and you start to cover up what's truth because truth is going to hurt. So mm. I feel like either way, your kids, when you're, when they're watching you be, that insignificant person that's that's uh, allowing narcissist things around and they're watching, say, their father being this person who feels insignificant, who's created this monster and made the world about him. Either way, they're going to fail at life. And I watched mm -hmm. my kid go through a lot of that stuff. And it wasn't until we stepped away from all of those patterns that my kids started actually even grieving their father okay. and actually, actually grieving their childhood. And they started having things like eating disorders come up but it was because they were finally in a safe place that those emotions could come out. So before it came out really sideways and then it came out really sideways for a while. And now we're like on the other side where there's peace and calm 
And it's amazing to think that I thought I would have to stay with that for them to succeed. Yeah. Because yeah. they absolutely, they're succeeding beyond my wildest dreams. And there were times where I was like, you know what? They all grew up and be strippers or no judgment. But if, if they all grow up and they're just on drugs, whatever happens in their life, it's because this happened to them. And then there was a point where I had the shift that I'm like, oh, heck no. They're going to grow up and be the best version of themselves because I'm not going to stop fighting to figure out how to become the best version of myself and give them all the tools and send them out in the world looking for the red flags, but not in a fearful way. And I have the knowledge, I have the worth, and I'm going to be treated this way because I'm worth it. And that's the strength that I'm going to give to my kids. And that's going to be my goal for the rest of my life. So Ashley, I I talk often about this concept of healthy ego versus the pathological defensive narcissism. And I feel like you're you're, uh, inspiring me in the sense that you knew you were a good mom. You knew you could love big. I mean, did you feel confident about your momming skills? Absolutely. Okay. So, so when I talk about this uh, healthy ego, um, and this is from a, a author named Eleanor Greenberg who writes about narcissism, but realistic sense of positive self-regard based on the person's actual accomplishments and relatively stable because you've assimilated into your self-image the success that came as a result of actual hard work to overcome real life obstacles. So a uh, mother of five and, and somebody who loves big, I can imagine was, they, we could say that's real life obstacles. And I love that she says, because it's based on real achievement. Uh, it's relatively impervious to the slights and setbacks we experience as we go through life because it, care, it causes us to care about ourselves, do things in our self-interest and associated with genuine self-respect, something inside of us. And now contrast that with pathological defensive narcissism, defense against feelings of inferiority, like you said earlier. And this person dons a mask of arrogant superiority to convince the world he or she is special, but inside the person is so insecure about their self-worth and that that facade is so thin that one pinprick will deflate it. So that person is is... They are hypersensitive to minor slights that somebody that has a healthy ego wouldn't notice. And so instead, somebody with that type of defensive narcissism is wounded, takes disagreement as criticism. And then at that point, they have to then put that person you know, in their place. And so there's that part of me that feels like, man, your story is so uh, good. And that I wonder if women here in this now and they know, no, I am a good mom, um, that that is one of those things where they can start to get a little bit of self-confidence in. And unfortunately, and I think maybe uh, I talk about this on the podcast, but when you start to stand up for yourself, if you are doing it right with the narcissist, they are going to push more buttons and, and try to put you down. And I think that's one of those right. difficult parts. So would you have moments where you started to, to have your voice? And, and then what would happen? Absolutely. There. The moments when I started to find my voice and actually find my worth, which I honestly did not have. Okay. I, I found my worth as a mother, but as an individual, I, mm. had, not, I had not seen glimpses of that. I think most of my life, to be honest. Okay. Um, so I, I noticed that as soon as I started to find my voice and I started to find a purpose beyond just being there for every whim, you know? Yes. Um, it got louder. It got bigger. It, there were more swear words. There were more locked doors. Like everything got bigger because mm. I think narcissists like us broken. Yeah. They like they us small. And when you start to find an option beyond that, they are scared. They're gonna, they're scared they're gonna be seen, right? So um yeah, yeah for me it was definitely a, a battle of finding my worth despite it getting louder and bigger. It was almost like it fueled me to go, I'm on the I'm in the I'm on the right path. Sometimes yeah. when we start start praying for something, you know, we get more opportunities to do it. It was kind of one of those like, I'm going in the right direction. And the yeah. more I got put, the more I got put down, 
Sometimes it would break me, to be honest, because that was okay. the cycle, right? As soon as I start to get a little confidence, you just kind of get shoved back down. Yeah. But when I, when I, when I started getting my feet under me a little more, I would break me less and less. And then it would just start to just empower me to. Okay, that, whatever you did there, if you can bottle that up and I went in on like a sucking <laughs> deal, maybe because I feel like that's that part where somebody does start to, to feel better. And we talked earlier when I, you know, I think people will say, man, if I would have known this stuff earlier and I was doing that, we don't know what we don't know. But I've got these five things I talk about, you know, you're going to raise your baseline, that's self-care and then get yourself in a better position. But meanwhile, if you're starting to do things that are self-care-like, then that is going to be attacked by the narcissist. And then people are almost having to hide their self-care and get that PhD in gaslighting and, and get out of unhealthy conversations and set boundaries. But but I feel like the, the tell me if this was difficult for you, but the last thing that I talk about in that uh, ways to interact with the narcissist is recognizing there's nothing you will say or do that will cause them to have the aha moment or the epiphany. And sometimes I feel like that is the thing where the the, the hardworking you know, good person is going to, no, I can't, I can't find this, this aha moment or epiphany. Did you chase that? For right. I chased it. Like it was the only dream I ever had. Hey. And it was like, okay, we're, we got it. We just had the best conversation. He said, next time, just, you have to communicate better. And then I'm going to do this better. And it's going to be different. And then the next day it wasn't different or way worse. And then we'd go to a therapist or we go, and it, it's just like, you're constantly chasing this dream that you are going to save somebody. And yeah, I think some of the, the red flags that I wish I would have known, if you yeah. are in a relationship where you literally feel crazy more than you don't, like, yeah. that's a red flag. If you are constantly going, well, I can't talk to him about that today because today is not going to be a good day. That's a red flag. Or you're like, oh, well, he, sh- he shouldn't know about this thing that I, I'm doing or buying or, you know, communication like you've talked about yeah. communication is what relationships are built on and if you yes. can't say hey i'm having a hard time with this and your partner can't hear that without taking it personal and making it about them yeah. it's a red flag it, it is and uh, man actually i haven't uh, busted this one out yet so i'm um, waking up the narcissism and virtual couch exclusive with you which i appreciate because i've been thinking uh had somebody bring up somebody brought up in my office a couple of weeks ago the idea of turning um what they say turning red flags yellow and they realized how many times they were doing that. And it was especially when there was tension in the relationship. And then all of a sudden they would then, uh, okay, well, I, I'll back down because I don't want that red flag seem so um, dramatic. So I'm going to turn that red flag yellow. And then once they did that, then they felt like, okay, now it's on me. I can work with a yellow flag. But then the red flag Absolutely. is where I'm going to have to do something. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> um, I just was picturing different times hey. where like I had, I had a couple of times where some big companies and asked me to come and do like seminars and stuff. And I told them no, because I was afraid to be too big. Like when, when a, a, a narcissist wants to feel successful, you have to stay under their level of yes. success, right? Because yes. that's when you get the worst jobs. That's when you get put down the most. That's when you feel that weight of all of their problems become yours. And you're like, okay, I'll carry these for you. I got this. And I'll just stay down here, down at the bottom and I'll carry them. And so you do, you just like, you'll create different scenarios than, than one that would actually bring your success or bring you to light or even make you feel like you're living in the light. You just kind of live in the dark halfway. Did you ever have, okay, now I'm, and I'm kind of being maybe too humorous with this, but I've had people talk about situations where they've tried to do that, which I love the way you put that, where I'm going to, prop my my partner up I, and then gonna say see look at how well you did 
And then that person not only says, yeah, I did, you know, and uh, no thanks to you, you know, and this is the person that, that literally propped that person up. Um, did you ever have that experience? Oh, yeah. I even heard a few times just like, well, you're such an amazing mom, but you're just such a bad wife. Everything oh. you do. And I'm like, I give the same love. Like, I, I just, that's just who I am. I had a stepdaughter and I still love her. I still connect. Like, I just love people. And so... To have, to have a relationship where you feel like, first of all, you always feel like you're crazy. But second yeah. of all, you just, you're just constantly being told that you're something that you're not. Yes. You really, you really do start to question like, Oh, did, did I do something bad? Maybe I shouldn't. He, he said he doesn't like tacos. Dang it. Why did I make tacos? And you just start second guessing every little detail of your life. Yeah. So, and we said something that was so good there where, or it breaks my heart as well, but being told what you like or what you think or how you feel. And I feel like that's another one of those just ginormous red flags that, that it's nails on a chalkboard for me. And I know it's not just as a therapist, but as a human where somebody's saying, well, you don't even realize what you're doing and you're doing this and you don't even know this. And so if anybody is, if they're in a relationship where their spouse is continually letting them know what they think or feel, then that is, that is a, that's a red flag. Yeah. If I, if I, if someone said to me like, Hey, what do you guys want to do on our double date? And I'm like, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know what I want to do. I'm going to have to ask him, you know, like you can have an opinion, even if you have a, a spouse who's really, really smart and really, really good at a lot of things and really successful, you can be too. And yeah. that's the part that I really got to the point where I didn't even believe, like, I have to be small. I yeah. have to be broke. I have to be broken to be loved by this person. So it's either, it's either him or, or, I mean, it's, it's, if I'm going to build me, I'm not going to have him. And that's a scary thing because you're so connected to that cycle and to that person. And I feel like that's the part where people don't know what it looks like to be two interdependent, autonomous, differentiated people with two different life experiences and how amazing that can be because they go into that marriage feeling like, no, we're enmeshed and, and we're the good kind of codependent. And, and if, if we were two individuals, then that would, why would we need each other? And no, it's like, that's when it's exciting to be together. And I feel like uh, I was going to say, man, don't make me bust out our deepest fear by Marianne Williamson. But when you kept saying small, uh, Ashley, my favorite part of this poem is she says, you're playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. And I've never looked at that from the narcissist lens. So that's exactly what people do. Play small so that uh, so that, that person that's insecure won't feel worse. Or the hope is that, well, they'll feel better. They'll get it. And then they'll understand, have the aha moment, and then we'll be happy forever. So, and then I can start being me and letting my light shine. Right. Yeah. Once they figure out their stuff, I got to stay small until they do. And, and in reality, you got to start letting that light shine. And then if they don't, yes. then they can go uh, pound sand. I was going to say swear words, but I don't want to click the explicit. Uh, I know. I'm sorry that you're going to have to do that. But I don't I think, think you, I swore back then. I don't think you did. Um, oh, Ashton. Um, oh, one thing I was thinking. Yeah. So... A goal that I always had was like, I gotta help him find his worth. I gotta help him build, but that's not your job. If you're in a relationship and a lot of people that are in these relationships don't even realize they are because it's so hard to see it when you're in it. Cause it's just the cycle that you're used to. You're used to having really big days and really bad days, really up and downs. Um, but the, the only thing that you have power of is finding your significance, finding your connection to your higher power, finding your relationships that enrich your life and connecting to those, even if you feel like you're not allowed to. So that would be my main advice. Figure out how to be significant because you are. 
because we were created to have this uh, mission and a purpose on earth. And our mission and purpose is not to just lift up other people. It's also to let our light shine and to become the best version of ourselves and and all the good things that life has to offer. I love it. And I almost feel like if we were going to do a cheesy role play, Ashley, then if I were saying to you, hey, uh, if you came in and said you found some new hobby you like, I mean, I feel like, yeah, the, the correct answer is for me to say, oh man, tell me more. What's that like? How long have you felt this way? And, and I feel like the narcissist version would be, well, why do you want to do that? Um, I don't remember you saying anything about this. And do you know what that would feel like for me? Or what am I going to find time to do the things I like? And then all of a sudden now it's like, oh, now, you know what? I, I, yeah, I probably don't want to do that. And I wonder how many people right. have that, that experience versus the, oh my gosh, let's tell me more. Like that sounds exciting, which if that doesn't happen in your relationship, then, then that's a red, again, flag. red flag, right? Um, Ashley, where can people find you? I feel, I wish we had another hour um, and maybe you can come Seriously. back on again. Would that be okay? I would love that. Okay. Absolutely. Um, right. so they can find me. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, The Moments We Stand. And then my website is momentswestand.com. And I, right now I'm doing a lot of online. I used to do a lot of public speaking and I do a few times a year, but I have little babies right now and seniors in high school that I really can't miss life right now. Um, so I do a lot of online stuff. I have some courses available on my website. I, I do some podcast, like different podcasts with people. I've done a lot of interviews and anyways, so that's mainly where you can find me. I think I got everything. And I, and I appreciate so much this and I hope that we can maybe do something again soon or do something together because I really love your energy. And I tell you, there's one I don't know if it was on a, a story or it was a post or something. And you were literally just, uh, just kind of dancing and having fun with your kids. And, and if you go through like my TikTok, it's almost all just people dancing and I have zero rhythm. And there was a part of me that thought, okay, look at Ash looks like just normal and, and just like in the moment. And, uh, and, and it just made it look fun. So I appreciate how much, you know, you, you kind of look like you're just being in that moment as a parent. And it looks like a good time. Hey. Yeah. Thank you. Um, all right, Ashley, then uh, I will put all the links everywhere that I can. And then uh, next time we're, we talk, we, we won't have, uh, I won't technologically gaslight you and we'll have the whole hour. How does that sound? Deal. Thank you okay. so much. And thank you for all that you do. I love, I love what you're doing. No, oh, it makes me, I appreciate it. I really do. 